today we're going to finish the Where Are We Going series. And <laughs> we still don't really know where we're going at the end of it all. Um, that's right. Thank you, John. <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah, are we there yet? I got to start talking before this continues. <laughs> talking to my pastor friends. How often are you heckled at church? And it's like. <laughs> well, and the truth is, we do know where we're going in the sense of that we know where we're going is to Jesus. To be near and like him. Is it just me or are you getting wrecked during this worship music times? Where you just say over and over again, you're all we want. And I can, and how about Tim's testimony, right? Where you have a, there was one philosopher, uh, was a professional philosopher, or you said that the strongest argument for the existence of God is a transformed life. Right? And what are you going to say to Tim Lucas? What are you going to say? What are you going to say? He, he was there and he's here now and I know his beautiful family and I've known him for a long time and the guy's the real deal. And just to say, are you serious, Jesus? We run into so much mess all week, right? Anna always says that we get slimed during the week. And then we get to come take a shower, you know, kind of de-slime. And realize Jesus is the smartest person that ever lived. That if we want to know what God is like, we can look in this one location that is Jesus. And if we want to know what we're about what we're meant to be, what our lives are meant to look like. We can look at this person, Jesus. So it literally is the smartest decision you could make is to try to be near in relationship with this Jesus and then let God to make us like him because what will happen is you will become yourself. You will become the person God has been dreaming that you could be, but we're not made to be able to do it alone. So we want to be with the one who is saying, come on. I have more for you. I have more of you that you can never have unless you come to me. So where are we going? We're going to be near and like Jesus. What's that look like day to day? I don't know. He surprises me all the time. So how do we get near and like Jesus? We become disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus. A disciple is a learner, a student, an apprentice. It's tempting if you're like me, raised in church, that I thought a disciple was someone who raises their hands during a worship service. <laughs> right? You know what I mean? They, they, their eyes are closed during worship. They must be close to God, you know. Um, no, it's someone who actually says, this is my hero I'm going to imitate. I'm going to live day in and day out. Because he's the freest, most joyful, smartest person we could model our lives after. But that's not all. All of a sudden, I start to have purpose in my life that isn't just about me. But that my transformation to look like Jesus is for others that I can make disciples. And it's, it's actually not rocket science. It's just being like Jesus around other people and then just being present to people over a long period of time. And now my life has a new sense to it. I don't have to find the perfect job that fits my gift set and I'll finally be valuable. It doesn't really matter what job I have. I have been a telemarketer. Applaud me. I mean, come on. The heights that I've risen to in my career. Right? But I was as much in the kingdom as I am now as a pastor. I was as much on mission. My life had as much significance and meaning as it ever has. And that's, talk about freedom, guys. Right? To be a disciple of Jesus. To be freed into your life's purpose. To be like Jesus near Him and help others do the same so they come alive. And yes, there's particular expressions of that from time to time. But those things come and go with whether we're healthy or other people tend to like us or not. We can't control those things. But we can come into the life we were made for, which is to make disciples of Jesus. Anywhere, anytime. You can lose your job and smile or get a great job and smile. It doesn't really matter. So, 
to be disciples of Jesus, to make disciples of Jesus, we have to do it the way Jesus did it. Right? There's a lot of things that seem sensible to us. Sometimes they work out. Sometimes they're not a very good idea in the long run. So we've got to pay attention to how Jesus did this. For So the last several weeks, we've talked about what does a disciple of Jesus look like? How did Jesus make disciples? And who did he disciple? And we just, you know, if you want to get the, the you know, the more robust version of that, each of these three things, the first is what we've made this little symbol here that summarizes Matthew 28, 18 through 20 and Acts 2, 36 through 47, which says just kind of the bones of what it looks like to be a disciple. It's not the super mystery. It's not like a feeling that you have. I feel today like I'm a disciple because I like God or I feel close to God. That comes and goes with whatever you eat pretty much. But there's a, a life, an identity that we get to step into and a way of living that Jesus invites us into. That's the way to imitate him. How did Jesus make disciples? Well, he passed on co- classroom content. It's kind of what we do on in the preaching moment during on a Sunday morning. And we're all used to that. But he also is as important that he apprenticed his disciples. He modeled. He was with them. He, he, he showed them how to do things and said, why don't you try it? And I'll do it along with you. And, and we'll feed back and you'll start to learn how to do it. And one is immersion. He just throws us right in the middle of the context. It's like learning a language. You know, one of the best ways to do it is just go to the place where they speak it and just be confused for a long time. Till you start to notice the accents and you notice the words and you start to grow. And Jesus did all three of those things. And that those these two things together determine then who Jesus' disciple. We talked about it last week that who Jesus discipled, in summary, is a small group of people who accept Jesus' challenge to discipleship. He made these huge invitations, invited everybody. Man, he'd feed a whole crowd of five thousand for free. But then he'd say to that same crowd, I want, I want you to, I want to issue a challenge that if you're really going to follow me, you have to eat my body and drink my blood. And I'm not really going to explain today what I mean by that. And just those who would trust him say, you've confused me a lot, Jesus, but I'm okay with that. I know I can trust you. I'm going to follow you anyway. So it tended to be a small group of people because to do all this stuff with people, Jesus apparently could only handle 12 and one of them didn't work out so well. So, all right. So what we're going to talk about today is, so we've got, we've given you the concepts. So how does this work out practically in a church in our day and age? And so that's what we're going to talk about briefly. It's going to be really specific to Believer's Church. So if you're new to Believer's Church, you might be, eh, I don't know if this applies to me. Well, it does in that this is the practical way for you to engage in the vision and mission that we feel like God's given us to live out. And so I've invited my dear friends, as you know, our leadership team, Anna and John, if, if, yes. I wonder which ones were for you and which ones for you and the woos. We can compare them. Um, we lead in a, you know, as, I'm seeing some new faces, but for the most part, if you, if you don't know much about us, we try to lead in a team context. And so that's why Roger Nix, here's what's cool. Roger, who just gave the announcements, was the lead pastor for 20 years. And he's part of our team. He's part of our, our ethos here. Um, Tim, who came up, is one of our elders. These guys are brand new elders. They've been around believers probably between 12 and 18 years. The two of you kind of grew up here. Um, and I'm one of the pastors as well. And so we try to see the body of Christ and all the different things that each of us bring to the table to be able to speak. If you saw these people running around up front that were talking to people, it's because we believe God speaks to us by the Holy Spirit in a right now kind of way, like he did in the churches in Revelations chapter, chapters two through three. And, and so we're paying attention to that. How cool was it that we had three people talking about hope and Tim had heard something from God about hope the night before? See, that, that's, if you're talking about signs and wonders, that's a sign and a wonder. So that God is thinking about us. He's wanting to communicate something to us. So it makes sense and it's wise for us to pay attention to that. Right? So if you're feeling some despair and depression, you came to the perfect place. Because Jesus knows your address. He knows your number and he said, I can't wait for you to come. He's going to tell you, I've got hope, 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 hope for you. Okay, so how does this all work in church today? Well, we've got this house image, and it works out really well that it's a house um, because 
it really is, if you're doing all those practices, you're a church. It's that simple. If you if you, if this is all happening, uh, you can call yourself a church. You got this identity. When we, we can unpack that over time. But what I like is that we made it a picture of the house because if you look back in um, Paul's writings, he considered, if you ask Paul, what is the church? He would say simply this, it's a household. And it fact, in fact, starts with the household. Now in the ancient world, the household was a little different than ours. In ours, we think of, you know, mom and dad and the kids. It wasn't quite, it was a little broader than that. It more had to do with, you know, kind of like employees, your circle of influence. Um, but the, Paul would say the basic unit of the church is the household. And that when he talks about the church, it's a household of households. So in other words, it's many, many churches come together to be a church. It's the called out ones, ecclesia. Now, if Paul had a, a church like ours that has more seats than just, you know, if that was, let's say, just a few people, let's say four people in each of those houses, we're looking at, what, 20 people. If Paul had what we had today, I don't know that he'd call it a church. He'd probably call it churches based on his experience, right? As far as we know, Paul was never in an environment like ours, except for him as a group of people who wanted to kill him. Seriously, you mean like, like whenever Paul spoke to crowds at the end of it, usually he was about to die, you know, so <laughs> they're, they're not enjoying him. So um, what's interesting is Paul's denominations, if you will, his 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 divisions of what it means to be a church are very similar to the way Jesus made disciples. So we see Jesus had the inner circle, the three or so. Twelve to seventy two was that, you know, next circle out. And then 120 to the crowds. So Paul kind of, apparently Paul learned something from Jesus. So how does that work at Believer's Church? Well, the, the best way we can translate it here is this idea, is that the, the basic unit of church is family. In, in the Western American context, I just call it biological family. Is that's, that's the basic unit of church. Another way we meet this way is something called D groups. How many of you guys here know what I mean when I say D group? Okay, so I'd say at least half of everybody here. It's, it's a little deal where we have two to four people meeting together on a regular basis for the purpose of being disciples and helping each other along. And we're going to actually be talking more about this in a couple of weeks to unpack that for those of you who don't know what that is or maybe you've not been doing it. Then at BC, we would consider, actually, if you want to compare it, the church is small groups. There's these groups of people that are a family of families that actually can know one another and, and, you know, kind of know what's going on in each other's lives. And then we'd say that the churches is, is like these large gatherings, these like Sunday morning. This is a churches. I like to think of it like the tribes of Israel. You know, they, 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 you had the father's house. And then it got, the clans came together and then you'd have the, the tribes, you know, Judah and all that. And then you get the whole nation together. And this is kind of our nation. And I always love it because I can tell where the tribes are, by the way. Have you ever noticed this? You know where the tribes are. It's the people who sit the same seats all the time, right? And so it's like, there's this tribe over here. I know what you guys do and where you, I know kind of what your flavors are. It's, it's fun to watch the tribes. Yeah. It's a real thing. I think it's just human behavior. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. You know, just as long as the tribes get along, you know, tribalism is not a good thing. Um, and so that's the way we think of this. And, you know, the thing that's really important is Jesus, you know, remember that the visual we did, Jesus did have an investment strategy with how much time he spent in each. And we believe at Believer's Church, we have to pay attention to the same investment strategy of Jesus or we won't end up with the same outcomes that Jesus had. Does that make sense? We, we have to have the same investment strategy. So, so that would mean our, our, the family and D group is the highest investment than the small groups and the large gatherings. All good things. We have to pay attention to his strategy. And there's leadership for these things. Leadership is critical. And this is just so you know what's going on. We know parents... Parents would be, and also a household doesn't have to be parents, plural. One person can make a household. A single person is a household, just so you know. So there's a head of every household. 
And that's the, that's the fundamental leadership unit of the church. Think about how important that is. Think about how important your role is in the direction of the church. Why? Because the basic unit of the church is the head of a household. Parents, and also in D groups, we have a leader. We have deacons, which are what we call our group leaders. Um, then we have elders, which is a team of both paid and non-paid people, which is the LT. We, we get paid to do what we do, and the other guys are the elder council. It's a group of, a group of about 14 people. So, Believer's Church is a big house of little houses. If you've been around for about eight years, you've already heard this before, hopefully. We've talked about this in the past. So, last thing I want to tell you about just the structure of Believer's Church, then I'm going to talk about how does this relate to me? What does this matter to me? We're getting there, okay? All right. We have house support ministries. Ministries are not themselves the house, the support of the house. It's kind of like going to the doctor. You can't really have a very successful home unless you have a doctor at some point. Have you noticed this? Please tell me you're going to the doctor. (laughs) We could solve a lot of things for all of us here. But we don't live at the doctor's office. It's not home. Does that make sense? So, So in our ministries, every one of these ministries is located in a home. But then they serve the church. Does that make sense? They make, they, they serve the rest of the church. So for instance, Sozo is, is a ministry that provides prayer and deliverance ministry for people or, or, you know, benevolence or family promise, care portal, each of these things. Now, Celebrate Recovery and Fusion are really close to being household to households. The only challenge with it is they have an expiration date. You know, and so that's one of the reasons we consider it a ministry rather than uh, one of the households. Uh, and then, of course, we got operations. Thank you, Jesus, for people who turn the lights on, maintain the building, and pay the bills. Um, they are very, very important. And everybody, every bit as much doing ministry as any of the rest of us. You know what I'm saying? Trust me, when Beth stops cutting checks, people notice way more than my sermons. I mean, they're just not interested. You know, um, and we've got leaders there. So we've got what we call deacons. We've got a, our staff, ministry support, ministry leaders. So many of you guys are sitting right here in the building. Guys, can I just say thank you? Like, like Nancy Phillips, who I think she works here more than I do for the women's ministry. Uh, she's unbelievable in the, in the pastoral care she offers. There's just so many people that are giving so much of their time to be able to say to the body, we want to keep you healthy. We want to make a place for you. You know, the booths with Sozo. I mean, it's just, you name it. There's just people giving their lives to be able to make sure we're healthy, to be able to be disciples, make disciples. And then, of course, we call our trustees, which is a volunteer team of people that oversee our finances. We meet monthly-ish. Um, and then rest of our staff. Okay, there you go. So, is there, we've taken weeks to say where we're going. And part of it is because you didn't know this, but I'm taking, I just took you through the new visitors class. <laughs> we, we knew we needed to write one, so we just thought, let's just do it for everybody. <laughs> kill, kill two birds with one stone. Um, <laughs> so, but for, for you long-termers at Believer's Church to say, is there anything different about this that I need to know about? Some of you guys might have noticed this already, but one of the things is in our model of doing church, we are moving towards making the household the center of the church. What we mean by this is one of the most important things we can pay attention to is our marriages. The reason that, why? Because it's, it's the central relationship where a house has stability. And if there's stability in that, it means it starts to go on out into the church, which becomes as from from atom to molecule to all of a sudden organism. And so so one of the things we've actually done in a practical way is uh, Zach Ripley's 100% dedicated to just family ministry now. He, he, he had been juggling multiple hats. But now he's just dealing with the kids and then also helping. How do we equip parents to disciple their children? Listen, if you never got past that, you'd be a total success. Just disciple your kids, you're good. I'm serious. Now you'll find, if you've been parent long enough, you're going to need some other humans around because eventually you're going to go crazy. You will lose your mind if you're the only one trying to make this happen. 
Um, stop me when I need to. Um, we're moving towards D groups and small groups as the primary locations for discipleship. Not yet. Okay, you. All right. I just read an article last night by Annie Dillard about church. She said, church, somehow in 2,000 years, we've never really worked the kinks out. It's like watching a bunch of dancing bears try their best. You know, I said, I can, I can subscribe to that method of church. I, I like that. Um, moving towards D groups and small groups, the primary locations for discipleship, which doesn't exclude the Sunday gathering. But here's the deal. We've talked about this. There's just things we cannot do to make disciples in a Sunday gathering. We just can't do it. And, and it, we watched Jesus, the way he did his stuff, he would go to the crowds, which we qualify for a crowd. He'd go to the crowds and bless them. And people would feel the presence of God. They'd see miracles. They'd hear teachings that blew their minds. But then Jesus would say, I'm going to make you this challenge. Will you follow me? And the challenge is different to everybody. He says, first of all, we knew it was going to be fewer people. And just, have you ever noticed the closer you get to people, the less you like them? <laughs> I mean, from the veneer is what I mean. If it, Actually, I find... The opposite's also true, isn't it? That, oh man, I start to really get to know you. And now I don't notice how tall you are, what you look like, you know, your breath, and things like this. The more I get to know you, I get to see the beauty of somebody. But also, it's kind of scary to get to know people, isn't it? That, that, that you, that you can't, you kind of can't act as well. Like, when I go home, and I, if I try to go, praise the Lord, my family's all like, what is wrong with you? You get like three heads. I mean, why are you acting like church man? <laughs> Tim knows exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> None of us believe you, Dad. We've seen you at your worst. That's where we make disciples. And so as far as what we're going to be investing our time in is D groups and small groups, this location right here is for invitation. Is Jesus' invitation to say, come on, play. This is the best life ever. You can feel the presence of Jesus here. It's also a place for us to celebrate, right? You don't get to have this many people in your living room and just, there's something, isn't there something about other people and even watching them worship Jesus and saying, maybe it's true. Because I sometimes feel like it is and I don't today, but he does. There's some kind of lift that happens in that moment. And then also leadership. I learned this by a, a pastor who's over like 13 house churches in China, underground church. He'd visited here uh, through Kyle Enns, because Kyle and Carrie had done work in China. And he, you know, of course, like, underground church, man, they're the, they're the Navy SEALs of the church, right? But he's walking around our building going, I wish I could do this. I wish I could gather everybody in the building at once and talk to everybody. I wish I could have to do this for our kids. And I was like, oh, I never thought about that. This is a good thing we have. This is a good thing we have. But we just have to pay attention to how we invest. I'm talking too much. Talk, Anna, please. Yeah. Um, as Kyle mentioned, those are some of the benefits of Sunday morning. And we see that how many of you are in a small gathering right now, a small group of people? Are there some benefits that you are receiving that can never be obtained in this room? Are, is it a model of making disciples that can never be obtained in this Sunday morning gathering? So we'll begin to reap the benefits of both being there and all those advantages of making disciples and then being in here and the advantages we receive from Sunday morning that we can't achieve in a small gathering. We see the disciples met in homes, and they met in the temple courts. It was, a, it was a rhythm we see the early church doing, and so it'll be pretty normal for us as a church to do that also, and we'll reap the benefits of it. And so another thing that's a little bit different is this idea of our leadership, of leaders working through leaders. You'll notice, I hope you'll notice, and, and I just am so grateful to have been part of the transformation that Roger Nix initiated 15, 17 years ago of saying, I don't want to lead this thing by myself. And in fact, I don't think it'll go very well if we do that. Of pulling up other people into your orbit and training them to do what you do and to bring their uniqueness to the table so that we're leading through leaders. We never see 
uh, well, we see it in Jesus' life, right? Jesus believes so much in raising up leaders that he bet it all on the 12th. He bet the salvation of the world on leading through leaders. Think about that. And what's funny is I've not met, I've not met any traditional pastoral roles where the congregation holds the pastor accountable to raise up leaders. I'm not. But we've realized, man, we're missing something if we don't do this. Um, and so, so that's something you'll, that, that, here's the fun part about that. Everyone gets to play in that context. Everyone gets to play. We are all disciples who make disciples. John, you wanted to say something yeah. about this, yeah. I just wanted to offer an encouragement that if, if you're hungry for mentorship or for discipleship or there's an area in your life, your marriage, your life with Jesus that you want to grow, I just want to encourage you, just go after it. You know, find somebody in this community that you see something in them that you admire or they're just a little further along in an area and just be brave and just ask them if you can get to know them a little bit. You know, this, this church is like an all-you-can-eat buffet of wise and mature followers of Jesus, I think. You know, I, I grew up in a small town in Alabama, really beautiful, wonderful people. But when I, when I got to this church, there's a depth of spiritual maturity here. So maybe I'm speaking mostly to younger people, but really to everyone. I just, man, go after that. Um, I think the only prerequisite for making disciples is being a healthy disciple, you know? And in my experience, and I know we have biblical precedent for it, that the way that God grows us up is through interdependence with other people. You know, we see that in Elijah and Elisha, Eli and Samuel, Jesus and his 12, um, Paul and Timothy, Paul and Titus. So, yeah, I was thinking about a, an example of this in my own life. I, I remember I was still in college, and I had heard a really inspiring talk uh somewhere and i i was meeting with guile and i i was like guile i heard this really incredible inspiring talk this was the premise and guile just lovingly listened intently and he was like john I'm, i can see you're inspired but i just tell you that the premise of that talk isn't true <laughs> it's just not true and and he was able to show me like oh my goodness I was like, you're, you're right you know that's not it's not true. I was being inspired, but inspired in the wrong direction. And just thinking about how the nature of deception is that we don't realize we're deceived. Isn't that scary? And so I think it's just so important that we have an upward grace in our life. So I just wanted to give you the encouragement. Go, go get it, because it's here in this room. And might I say that this guy is a guy to imitate. I've never seen one so, somebody so aggressively want to learn. And so, you know, I, he is with more different people just saying, well, what did you think about that? that? And the thing is, guys, Jesus has called us to a journey of lifelong learning, lifelong mentorship. Guys, I so respect him, like Floyd McClung. If you spend any time with Floyd McClung, who is in South Africa, in his 70s, is still trying to find people to, to learn something. Tim Cameron who's who's come up and gave gave the word and stuff this dude is so humble he's lived so much more life than i have but he's seeking out more growth all the time and it's just it's just a joy we never have to stagnate we never have to plateau because plateau we kind of get bored and then we do stupid things you know what i mean you're like yeah it'll blow that up yeah you know okay so I was listening to a Keith Green song, uh, <laughs> and uh, he's just an inspiring guy, but he was introing the song by saying, man, I've been following Jesus for a while, and I've noticed that my heart has started to become calloused, and uh, he, he, he just was sharing that he had prayed with the Lord last night, Lord, I want, I want baby skin on my heart, you know, I want a soft and tender heart, and that, that touched me, I want that too. That's awesome. So what does this mean for me? And by mean, I, we mean you. Making disciples is the normal life 
of the disciple. Making disciples is the norm. It's not for specialists. It's not a special ministry we're starting. It's just being a disciple of Jesus. Everyone gets to play. In Jesus' kingdom, everyone has a critical role. It's not to build an organization. It's not to achieve some nebulous vision other than making disciples of Jesus, being near and like Jesus. And Jesus does all kinds of crazy fun things with people who are his disciples. Small groups and D groups are the primary ways we're going to look at doing discipleship at BC. Not the only ways. Recognize this. I found discipleship is not a linear process. In other words, it's just, you know, it doesn't work to just go this, this, this. Often it'll be like this, this, this. Why are we talking about this? Wow. And then this. If you're, if you've ever done discipleship with someone else, you'll understand that. Well, and Ruth Haley Barton says in one of her books, um, disciple or uh, small groups are the most overpromised, underdelivered thing in a church. Do you guys have some of that sentiment that everything's going to be a small group? You got it, guys? Yeah, this is going to be amazing. What are we doing? <laughs> and so at, what this means is we're moving towards this. We're going to be building together. Guile made that analogy last week. We are building together. The three of us plus the elders, we're not the church. You're the church. We're all the church together. And we're going to build these groups together. And we're going to be disciples who make disciples. And so we're in a excavation. We're in a... Well, it's kind of... My, my thing was like, a, if you go to a work site, you know, there's some things that are built. But it's mostly lots of tools and people, right? And I've realized, because I've, you know, I'm 17 years into this. We've tried to build something that everyone can fit into, and it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And w this is when we talk about that the church is not a God store. Hmm. You know what I mean? <laughs> 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 I know it goes, got pretty harsh really quick, but it's okay. It's good for us. It, 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 we can get, we can get, um, you know, kind of in this bizarre us, them, consumer store kind of environment and if we do that we're always going to be disappointed or if you're finding you're always getting what you want you're probably not in church does that make sense in other words it means see at some point the very nature of church is to not get what you want because we've said you're my boss jesus so if jesus if i never have a point where i have to be here no I'm actually running the show. Does it make sense? But I want to hear no, because I have a lot of bad ideas. I do. My wife will tell you many of them. I need to hear no from the Lord, and I need to hear it through other people. Tim Cameron, who I'm also praising, is not afraid to get in my face. He's not afraid of it. I need that and I want that. And so, um, Can I share something here where now? am I going with this? Yeah, thank you. Please save us. <laughs> I was just thinking about my own journey being at Believer's Church over the last, I think, 12 years now, kind of growing up here and thinking, why has it been so important for me to get into environments that are consistent and, and small? I've just been thinking about how painful but also important it's been for me in the believers church context to to be known you know and uh, i remember when i was just really getting deeply connected in the collective and it was discipling me and and for the first time in my life i was part of something that was sin so sincere and um it was consistent and, and small enough that people were starting to experience the parts of me that were beneath the surface, you know? And it's like I was leaking, you know? Um, and I couldn't conceal that stuff anymore, you know? And it was just so terrifying. I, I remember actually trying to justify in my mind leaving churches, <laughs> you know? It's like I was like my starting to play with my mind, like, I just don't know if this is really the right place for me. 
you know, but looking back, that was probably about, I don't know, eight, nine, ten years ago, just how imperative it has been for me to, to just stay put and to allow myself to be seen and known and not just the attractive parts of me and my personality, but the really um, ugly parts of me. And, uh, and I was thinking about the importance of um, being in an environment where people can experience our, our planned vulnerability, but also our unplanned vulnerability, you know? Like, I, I plan to disclose to you that really vulnerable and embarrassing thing about myself versus you experienced that really embarrassing and vulnerable part of myself, you know? But I just think that is so essential. There, there's safety. I think that's what it is. There's safety. We don't do confession very well as Protestants, you know, but there's safety in being, in being known. Um, I, I, I like to tell students that we want to keep all of the lights on in every room of our hearts, you know, and I just think, I don't know, I, I feel unsafe if I'm not part of a consistent and small gathering where people really, really know what's going on in my, in my heart and in my life. So, just trying to make a case for getting plugged in to something like that. How did I do? That was awesome. Yeah, well done. See, remember that clapping. <laughs> uh, yeah. Can I say one more thing? Of course. Um, <laughs> I bet they'll really like this one. You know, said- grow, grow. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, this one will be as good as the last one. But growing growing up, I don't know if it's a Christian thing or in my person. I'm a two on the Enneagram, if that means anything to you. So um, it's always been really important to me um, in my brokenness to be perceived of well. Um, yeah, so the first time, you know, that situation, that season I was describing where I was kind of starting to come unraveled and, and people were seeing the sides of me, I spent so much energy concealing my whole life. Um, what was so cool is I had spent so much energy trying to impress a lot of people. But then when I was at the absolute end of myself and I had nothing to offer anybody, there were a couple of people that loved me that way, you know, and just the power and the freedom of being loved for who I really was. I realized, Oh my gosh, being known, seen, known, and accepted by a couple of people um, is so much cooler than being impressive to a lot of people, you know? Because we all know subconsciously that, yeah, they're impressed with me, but they're not really impressed with me because they don't know me, <laughs> you know? Um, so, yeah, and then, and then also when we, can, when we can love people when they're unattractive, it changes them. It really changes them. Um, and then the last thing I wanted to share um, was the importance of being at Believers and there being people that um, are really easy for me to get along with because we're similar, but then maybe even more important for my transformation has been people that are really difficult for me to be around and that they're kind of like a rock in the rock tumbler with me, you know, and we smooth each other. Um, that's just, I just, I think that's imperative. If If all of eternity is going to be this moving into the depths of God and one another in unity together. I just think we're starting that now. So, Yeah, it was a Dallas Willard said, we've got to let Jesus be forming us now into his image because otherwise we may get to heaven and not like it all that much. Here's one. Care happens best through relationship. <laughs> Thank you, Rusty. <laughs> I'm going to embarrass her. My dear friend Rusty is is from the neighborhood jam. He's come here. We just got baptized. And then my dear friend Mamie is come with, yeah, we're so grateful that you guys are here. And so these guys are like the first time seeing me do my shtick. They just think I'm a grumpy guy in the morning at breakfast. So it's like, he's like, what is happening right now? This is very, very strange. 
I haven't had that much coffee yet. I, I told Rusty I don't drink responsibly when they keep on filling the coffee cup. So I'm like, thank you, man. You know, I'm just out of control. Um, care happens best through relationship. When I need help, my first line of response is my fellow disciples in D group or small groups. What does that mean? This is, again, something we want to build in process. Um, sometimes you can look at a pastoral staff and say, are they caring for us? And we still want to do that. We're not saying we're not going to do that. But we just do it badly. And it's not because it's believer's church. It's just hard to know what's going on in hundreds of people's lives. It's just not possible. And it becomes a little impersonal. That doesn't mean Jesus won't show up. Did you know Jesus will show up as much for your prayers as for mine? He really will. I, I, I know it. I, I, I'm looking around the room and if you want somebody, Shelly Mayberry, ask her to pray for you. I mean, the walls will shake. I mean, like, she's, she's part of our staff prayer now and we're like, man, we weren't ever really praying prior to now. <laughs> this woman's, who is she, you know? Um, we are all empowered to care and to care. Did you know this, that caring for people actually, for the most part, is pretty simple. It's just paying attention. Just, hey, how you doing? Often that's all we need. Just a how you doing. Sometimes it gets complicated and that's why we do have a staff. We do have professionals that, that can deal with very complex situ- situations. And that's what we're here for. We want to build this thing where we're all really caring for one another. Because what happens is when everyone gets to play, care vastly improves. I can name some of our small groups, like the Milligan small group. I mean, we, we've had some, some people pass on to Jesus. And we, we've come to their group and said, hey, uh, we're the professional pastors. Can we help? Their answer is, no, not really. That's awesome! That's what the church, that's the church, that's the body working in beauty and strength. That we could say, oh, thank you, Lord. We're caring for ourselves. If, read, if you don't believe me, just read Ephesians 4 over and over again. And you'll see this is the way God has divine, uh, designed his body to work. What does this mean for me? Oh, note that our mission and vision are not issue-based. In other words, based on what's going on in the culture, current events, or causes... Our mission and vision start and end with our apprenticeship to Jesus becoming near him and like him. This is a super big deal. If you haven't noticed, we've gotten a little divided over a few things in the last year and a half. Yeah? Um, and we have got to be laser focused on what it is we're about. We've got to be laser focused on what it is we're about. We're about Jesus being near him and like him, and being disciples who make disciples. That said, what will happen is as we become more like Jesus in the world, he will engage us with all kinds of issues in unexpected ways. The, the quickest thing I can talk to you that, that I can think about is us talking about racial equity. I, I've told you this. I, that never hit my gray, grid, ever. It wasn't like the secret thing I was waiting to address someday when I became a pastor. But Jesus kept on bugging us about it. Bugging us about it. It got uncomfortable in here. And it will continue to be. Why? I I don't know. I'm just trying to follow Jesus. And Jesus has this habit of taking us into uncomfortable places. We're going to be talking the things that we feel like the Lord's asking us to focus on. This, this, if you will, quarter has been Afghan refugees. So pillows is a pretty soft topic. <laughs> dad joke. John Yoakum, John, did that fit your dad, dad joke profile there? Yeah, I thought so. Afghan refugees, that's an easy landing spot. We're going to be doing something with, with foster care. Uh, in the care portal, phenomenal chance in the in a few weeks to engage with, if you will, social issues. Why? Because they're Jesus issues. He, he, we find Jesus is just really interested in orphans. He's really interested in people who've been left out. He, racial equity, is interested in the disempowered. Ooh, I'm getting in trouble already. I, it doesn't matter. Let's just follow Jesus. 
If we're not uncomfortable following Jesus, we might not be following Jesus. <laughs> okay. I say that because I've stopped saying, Jesus, I'm uncomfortable. Why? He's like, do you need to ask me this? This is just what we do. Anna. What's, what I hope that no one leaves here saying is that, oh, Believer's Church is now a small group church. Or Believer's Church is now a social justice church. Or Believer's Church is a discipleship church. What I hope every one of us walk away with is that we are preoccupied with Jesus. That he is the leader of the church. He's the leader of our church. And we will follow after him wherever he takes us. That is where we're going. He's leading us and we won't stop. We are moving forward. We're building it with him and with the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is where we're going as Believer's Church. He has given each of us gifts and graces to function and do the work he's asked us to do as his church, as his bride. Each of you are different parts of the body and are needed. And you get to play. Who you are gets to come through. We need you. We have a certain amount of gifts, and it's very limited. But think of everyone in this room, the gifts that we can offer one another. In Romans 12, in 1 Corinthians 12, it says, we all belong to each other. Every part of this, our human bodies are different parts. They don't have the same function, but they make up one body. They all belong to each other. And it's the same for us. We belong to each other. We're going to be caring for each other. We're going to be listening to Jesus and doing what he asked of us. We're going to put him on display. And many people are going to come to know him through us and our discipleship to him. Amen? We're a Jesus church, and we're only going to do what we see him doing and asking of us. It's a good thing she's leading us. I like that. So the question is, are you in? And oh, All right. I d- actually didn't expect that response. <laughs> I thought it'd be very quiet. You know, we'll just think quietly to ourselves. And here's the deal. It's not like just one decision you make. How many of you guys know that, you know, being married, you make, you, you make an initial decision, but then you decide like eight million times to be married. My wife and I on Friday celebrated 27 years of marriage. That speaks to the utter endurance of one woman. It's so possible. Women, hang in there. A guy who forgets everything, unpredictable, highly emotional, and occasionally sweet. She's stuck with him. We decide to be married over and over again, right? And I'll tell you, man, it, and I'm not just saying this because it's, it's the best it's ever been. But we've been through some hard stuff, too. You know, people close to us have died. We've had serious illnesses that... We've had financial stuff. I mean, right? It's just the stuff of life. And we decide over and over again. So what I hope, what I hope we can be for one another in this RUN is to hold us, hold each other too. As you, it, here's my guess is that Jesus is doing something inside of you to not even just like, it's, it is kind of like marriage where if you just, how many of you guys, maybe this, I just think the whole checklist on a, a wedding person, a marriage person's a little funny. Okay, I, I don't know. Because, you know, people are just people. And Jesus is smarter than us. And so Jesus will bring us unexpected things. But what we've got to do is say, is he's saying to me to engage here? And the, I want to encourage you just to just to do the hard stuff and stay with it. Of being a Jesus church and holding each other accountable to be a Jesus-focused church. That, that, that we want to hear from one another to talk about that. What does that mean? And that means sometimes challenging conversations. I don't love those, but we need them. We need them because we want to follow Jesus. Our culture is like being in a hurricane right now, isn't it? 
You just get blown all over the place. But Ephesians 4 says if we'll each do our part, then speaking the truth in love, then we won't be blown around by every wind of doctrine or teaching that comes on. Instead, we'll grow up into the maturity that is Christ. And as a group of people, we'll be standing there and people will go, wow, that looks like Jesus. Let's stand together. I thought as we closed, um, you know, we have opportunities in our life with Jesus just to give him our our absolute yes again. You know, and I just, this just feels like one of those moments. So uh, if you're interested and in just may, if you're able just to get on your knees and um, Jesus, we must have you. We were steeped in sin and darkness, and you rescued us. Thank you, Lord. You have supremacy over all, Jesus, and we choose to submit to you as Lord and Savior, as our King and Judge, righteous Judge. You are awesome, God, and even today, Tim Lucas his testimony, he witnessed that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. We must have you. It's a joke without you. We're choosing to put our trust in you. And you said that those who put their trust in you will never be put to shame. Help us to orient our lives around you. You are the best. You have to prune us and help us know how to live. We never knew how to live. You're the only one who does, and we need you. We need you, and we choose you again today. You are our only hope, Jesus. You are the head of our lives and our church, and you have been given supremacy over all. We want to submit to you and gain freedom from getting our own way. And we choose you today. Holy take us. Holy take us. Move in our hearts. Make them soft. And we love you and we want you and we want your ways. In Jesus' name, amen. So guys, how to get connected to all those things. That's what we're going to be talking about for weeks and weeks over and over again. So this is just something to go home with. If you want to look at where our groups are, the ministries, some of those things, just go to our website. All of that stuff is on there. But we're going to be continuing to just make an invitation and invitation and invitation to you over the weeks. We love you. Have a wonderful week.